We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, ABC 10's. Sean Cunningham, Sean, the weather, the weather outside is frightful. Sure is. I don't like it. We're, we're, we're Californians, man. We don't, we don't deal with this very well. And, and you're not that far away, but you are experiencing a completely different climate and weather cycle at the moment than we are. Cause down here in Sacramento, like it's, it's wet, it's, it's clearing up, but there's debris, there's trees, there's, there's leaves, there's branches everywhere. I mean, we will rebuild. But you've got you've got snow and freezing rain even still. Like, what, what are we doing here? Uh, yeah, I woke up. There was snow on the roof. Now, when I say snow on the roof, that means there was like maybe a quarter of an inch, a half inch of snow. And then as soon as the house warmed up, the snow just melted right off. But mm-hmm. it's it's currently 39 degrees in nope. Lake, Lake of the Pines, California. Uh, we needed to drop to 38 in order for it to snow more. But uh, the rain looks like it's kind of stopping at this point. We'll, we'll have to see. You drive uh, up the hill to Grass Valley, Nevada City, and you're talking about like a couple inches of snow, which is cool. I love the snow. I grew up in the snow. I grew up, you know, like 2,800 feet of elevation. No. Now I live at like 1,550 feet of elevation. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I like, I like this. This is, this is good. We're actually having a normal winter, Sean. Snow is nice to look at. That, that that's where it ends with me. Like, I don't want to be in it. I will say this. We all have these moments that like test your, your fortitude, I guess. I don't want to say manhood because that's just, <laughs> I was trying, I was trying, trying to stop short of that. And last yesterday, I won't say last night, yesterday before the game, I'm coming back from Elk Grove. I have family in Elk Grove and saw our good friend, Sam Amick. And uh, anytime I pop over there, I like to, you know, visit, visit a local eatery over there and maybe grab some food to go. And I realized uh, once I got to my door and I'm parked about a good 75 yards away and it's just torrential downpour that I got to the door, dried off, wiped my feet, got inside and went, oh man, 
I left my food in the car. <laughs> and I look back like that guy on who's watching his girl that he loves on the train just pull away. And I'm just looking at it and I'm just like, yeah, fogging up the window <laughs> and like, come back. And I'm just come looking back. at the, I'm looking at the car and I'm like, well, you know, there's going to be a break in the action. I can go out there soon. It, and, and it's cold enough to where the food will keep well. Uh, the food is still in the car. The food's still in the car. <laughs> I can top that story, Sean. Okay. I had to go and meet a, uh, a gentleman, very nice guy, uh, to, to get a, a Facebook marketplace purchase, which is always sketch, but he was in mm-hmm. fairness. We met at the Folsom Mall, uh, the Fos- Folsom Outlets, uh, and I'm not going to say what I was picking up because my son may either be listening or may, <laughs> for some reason, listen to the podcast, um, but uh, it, it's a Christmas gift. And so I left there and my brother went with me. We went to Costco uh, because I still need to get a couple of presents for, for, you know, my sister's kids and stuff like that. So I'm at Costco and I don't know if you've been to Costco lately, but they mm-hmm. have the largest saucer of all time, like a snow what? saucer. Like, I don't know if you've it, like, a saw, like a dish, like the, like the thing you fall, go down the hill on. Yeah. Like Clark, uh, Clark yeah, Griswold. Griswold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's huge. It's like, it might be three feet across. Like it's gigantic and maybe, maybe even more than that. It might be, it may be more than that. I mean, it's huge. It's this gigantic disc. So I, uh, I put it over the top of all my Costco stuff. I turn it upside down and put it over the top because it's all slick and I'm walking. Well, I'm walking out and it, and the rain is just pelting (laughs) and, and it's all just like going right off the top of my saucer. Right. I get all the way out to the car gust of wind takes the saucer <laughs> it goes flying down the parking lot up on its end and it starts rolling and it's flying so here i am sprinting down the costco parking lot chasing <laughs> a giant saucer i finally reach out and grab it before it goes into like main traffic in roseville oh. uh, but it was a moment it was a moment sean it like that some older gentleman walked by goes can you do that again i want to take my camera out and record it (laughs) we're californians we're californians we're not built for this we're just not i don't i don't i'm not good with this i will say though this is therapeutic because uh i am gonna be honest james i did not want to do this podcast (laughs) like it, it just feels like we're we're picking on the same kid every single day and like I wrote down, oh, we could talk about the Golden Globes and, you know, me and SNL. I love SNL and Billie Eilish hosted. So that was kind of cool. And Paul Rudd's coming up. But I mean, I know we have a duty here, but my God, man, this is just getting this is just getting rough in Kingsland. What a what a beautiful segue, Sean. That was a beautiful segue into our <laughs> conversation. Uh, so let's just get a beautiful the- segue of Sean not wanting to do this. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, that's the deal, though, right? Like, I, I think with a yeah. lot of people that they, they look at this as like a therapy session. And uh, if things go well, I'm just going to say, if things go well today, uh, I'm going to actually post the video. Things, things did not go well leading up to us hitting the record button. So I have no idea if we're actually going to do that or not, because uh, we clearly, you know, the weather is causing some internet issues. So if we have a bunch of locks up, uh, locked up moments and, and just, you know, issues and we won't post a video. Um, but I think that's good because we actually had a couple of moments here already where you could visually see us doing 
silly, stupid stuff like me with my face against a window or, or chasing something down the street. Um, the Sacramento Kings, uh, go from, they go from Sorry. 3-0 to 0-3. Yeah. And Sean, like I, I know watching the Charlotte game on Friday, it was so frustrating because that's a team that was missing, what was it, six rotational players. Mm -hmm. uh like most of their rotation was out except for i mean they still had some players they still had oh absolutely gordon hayward and and uh miles bridges are both very very good players and uh and it just felt like like even though they didn't live up to expectations they still (coughs) had this mystical opportunity in the final seconds to win the game and Mm -hmm. De'Aaron fox sitting on the court with a smile on his face after he just bricked a pair of free throws, um, the fan reaction to that, they took it the wrong way. They took it people, the wrong way. People need to chill the hell out. I mean, my there God, go. just chill out. This whole deep dive into body language and like, this must mean this. Like, guys, you, you, you know this team. You know this team. If it bothers you, like, Why? Like that's almost a, <laughs> that's almost a bigger discussion. Oh, it looks like he doesn't care. Of course he cared. Like like in a way, I laughed. <laughs> like I was just, and again, like James, I was in Southern California, and I had I to know. I had to watch it uh, in 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 parts. But I watched that live on my phone and just went, "You gotta be kidding me!" And Aww. I loved his I loved his uh, I loved his response after, where it was perfect. Like I appreciate honesty. And he sits there and says, yeah, I went back in the iron. Like, we know this guy's not a great free throw shooter. So it's so this whole, like, you're going up there and expecting him to hit two. He expected himself to hit two, which is what I want to hear him say. Yeah. Back rims it. And he's like, the next one is, I can't back rim it. So he's short it. And it's just like, I think there's a, there's a, a tangible real world solution to that in everyone's day in life. Like, where there's something that has come along in your life where that's happened. For him, it was shooting a basketball, you know, in a clutch moment for a game. And, and for somebody else, it could have been like, oh, I can't do that again. And then you end up doing something just almost completely worse because you're trying not to do it wrong. You know what I mean? Like you're 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 not trying to make it at that point. You're just trying not to be wrong. You're not you're just trying not to you're just trying to not do it wrong. And uh, it, it was kind of comical. It sucks. I know it's a loss, but. It, it was one of those, it's like just one of those most curb your enthusiasm, ironic moments that just happened to this team. And again, like the way they took the lead, the way, the way they took the lead, the review, all this stuff that, that was a wild three minute stretch Crazy. Of, of basically a minute and three minutes of how long it took to, to review all these things and come to these things. And then to watch it all just kind of fall downhill again. And it's like, well, the table, I mean, James, you and I were talking about it before that game the table was set for another embarrassing type, uh, not performance per se, but just them overlooking an opponent, maybe thinking this is in the bag, looking very much like the Sixer game, and then coming out and uh, the Hornets coming out looking like a team that weren't missing their best players after all. They still have the level of compete where, no, we're still going to take it to you, you know, because it was that predictable. We knew this. We already knew this. I have a real world uh, way that I, like what you just said, like it's one of those moments where everything you try, 
the first Christmas I had with my wife uh, when we were we were just dating, but many years ago, like a long time ago, people, we've been together a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, she went all out, like, like she bought like, um, and they were all thoughtful gifts. She bought me cologne. Uh, she bought me golf shoes. Um, I think she bought me a sweatshirt, um, uh, like a, a bunch of stuff. Like it was a very nice Christmas for James, especially for young people. We were very young at the time. Um, the cologne, uh, was the woman's version. <laughs> Uh, the golf club, the golf shoes, I opened the box. It was a size nine and a size 11 inside the Mm. box. Mm. The sweatshirt had a giant hole in the back where someone had ripped the tag out. Maybe she was playing a prank on you. No, like, I mean, we were young. She was young and she thought she did everything right and still came out with the wrong result. Right. And and it's funny. Yeah. But it like, I was Every single thing was thoughtful up to that moment. De'Aaron Fox had, what, 33 points in that game. Right. The only reason the Kings were in that game is specifically because of De'Aaron Fox. And then he bricks the two free throws. It, not, it wasn't just, like, to tie it. He had one to tie it, two to win it, and he misses both. And <laughs> I, no one felt worse. Marvin Bagley went in, grabbed a rebound, easily got fouled. And there's nothing on the two-minute report at all. They just right. omit the whole section where, like, Marvin gets body to the ground on, on a loose ball at, with two and a half seconds left. Like, the whole entire scene was just chaotic and wild. And then, like, to be honest with you, that night, Sean, you weren't there for mm-hmm. media. And I went at Alvin Gentry because he played Buddy Heald, like, 30-something minutes. And he was god-awful. He, was, he had a good first half. And then about midway through the second quarter, he stopped hitting shots and kept shooting. And then he missed everything. Like, I mm-hmm. think he had missed, like, he, I think it was 10 out of 11 in, from, like, the mid-second quarter on. And the one shot he did make was Fox had a steal, flipped it all the way down to uh, a cherry-picking uh, Buddy healed for a dunk. And I was confused. Like, how in the world he was so bad in the third quarter when they lost their lead, how did he get to play in the fourth? And not only did he get to play, he got to play almost a whole entire fourth. And Alvin like was kind of taken aback by me questioning his coaching decision. And I don't usually do that, Sean. I don't. Well, And I think, I think what Alvin um, didn't recognize maybe in the moment was, I mean, let's be honest, like buddies and like, in coming into that game is in like one of the smallest in, in a small stretch among one of the worst stretches he's ever had as an NBA player, like, yeah, especially as a shooter. And it's just abysmal. He's been just God awful. So I thought the question was definitely fair. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, I, that was one of my glimmers of hope for the Cleveland game, which was like, if there's a glimmer of hope or any, any moment of optimism is like, well, maybe buddy found himself again, you know, maybe, maybe, but, and, 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 and it's you shaking your head. It's like, no, I mean, no, it, probably not. I mean, buddy started off the season fine, um, had some moments, but this is clearly a, a dark stretch for him. And it's resulted in moments where Alvin has pulled him out of games. He didn't do that in the, in the Charlotte game. So I thought the, I thought it was a very fair question. Yeah. I mean, I, I typically don't do that, but it had just come to a point. I mean, the guy over 
previous like seven games shooting like 16% from three and like 26% from the field. And, and to be honest, he was no better in the fourth quarter. He is over five. Mm-hmm. And I actually got into an argument with somebody on the inside about why he was in the game and their, their reasoning and Alvin's reasoning was because he created the space for Fox to be that successful. And I just said, yeah, that's, that's not okay. You're, you're talking about a mistake <laughs> player. The only time that a mistake player can be on the court is when he's hitting everything. And, and I mean, it's Terrence Davis. Like the only time Terrence Davis can be on the court is when he's shooting, you know, eight of 12 from the field. Outside of that, you can't live with the mistakes. And Buddy Heald had stopped hitting shots. He was 0 for 5 in the fourth, just absolutely killed them. And he just kept playing because it's not like he's bringing the defensive effort. It's not like he's a great rebounder. It's not like he got you any steals. It's not like he set up his teammates for, for wide open shots. The only thing he's being used for is a decoy at that point and a decoy who's 0 for 5 in the quarter. I mean, that's on pace to go 0 for 20. Like the five shots in a quarter for a guy who hasn't hit a shot in, in like 20 something minutes, that's not okay. And so for me, like I, I had had enough and I asked a question and I, you know, Alvin answered the way he wanted to answer it. Like, and maybe, maybe you'll play it. They should probably play it. Yeah. I'll, I'll look, uh, we're going to play a bunch of audio today. So, so people know, um, uh, there's a bunch of stuff from Fox, uh, from, from the loss on, what is it Monday night? Uh, but, but Sean, they, they roll into the next game mm-hmm. and literally just like spineless, just yeah. like nothing left. I had a problem in that game. Uh, let alone the 81 points you gave up to a team that starts three, <laughs> three, seven footers in a first half. I mean, look, the one thing it, there were, there was something in that game that was very telling and it was the way they closed out that second quarter because it was it was interesting to see after the game where, where Alvin goes out of his way to say we're not quitters. And I've listened to that about four or five times now, especially the way that that he introduced it, which is like almost like, hey, hey guys, by the way, as we're wrapping up here, uh, one more thing, we're not quitters. And I think it was the strangest speaking, moment. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if it was strange. I mean, I look, I, I've always raved about Alvin as a hall, a hall mm-hmm. of fame human being. And uh, I think what he was attempting to say was more reflective on him and just how disgusted he was because they looked like they quit in that second quarter. Um, now, look, if you, you know, the, the broad, the, 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 again, you just look at games like they went 0 three on this trip. I think most people would think that God, this 0 three feels like 0 six just the, the way they've lost, the way these games feel, right? Well, you lose by one and you lose by 25. Like, it's just, it's still an L, right? Like, it's, at the end well, of the day, it's still Friday an L. Friday and Saturday, right? Right, right. You lose so, by one, you lose by 25. Right, and yet just the, 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 the weight of all of these games just ended up feeling worse than they were. And you, you ride a three-game stretch of wins right into this, surrounded by some practice time. Everyone thinks, like, okay, did they get worse defensively? Have they, you know, these are questions you have to ask. Like, are you not looking at defense? Are you kind of throwing it out the book? Is, is the faster pace of play you're trying to play with impacting the defense on the other end that you, that you've made maybe some improvement on to start the season, but now it's just like out the window or, you know, your level of compete, your guys are really soft. Like there's just a whole laundry list of things that, that, that ill this team at the moment. <clears throat> but when you look at just the way these games have gone, 
I thought it was interesting for him to say, we're not quitting. We're not quitters because they're still around a 500 basketball team. And I, the, the, I think the overall theme of this podcast that we've been doing, is like, well, they're, this is who they are. Like, that's one of the questions that I asked Alvin when he took over after the Cleveland, I think it was after the Cleveland game. I could be wrong, but I said, what if there's just a, what if this is just who they are? And obviously you want to try to improve and you want to, you want to get better and you take it day to day and all those cliches. But at the end of the day, like their, their identity is being a consistently inconsistent team. And then you go, so back to that Cleveland game, that was just disgusting. I mean, it was just like no disrespect to Cleveland. Cause by the way, I think they're fourth in the East right now. I mean, they're eight and two over the last 10. They're, they they're onto something. <laughs> they're, Their metrics to them. are showing yeah. that they're one of the best teams at the Eastern Conference too. hundred percent. So yeah. I, I'm not saying that they're losing to like the dreck of the East or of the league because you know far be it from any Kings fan or Kings player or Kings coach or front office member to have the audacity to think that they're not among that dreck as well. So um, <laughs> when but when you look at that game. And you see the way that second quarter finished, like there was, there was a take it to them. There was, Oh, you think you can run? We can run better. Like I used to joke that as much as they wanted to run fast under Dave Yeager, you know, it's like, certainly it's a strategy you can employ and it's an identity that you can try to hang your hat on, but there are other teams that are better suited to do that. Like if you want to get into the track meet, there are, yeah, you've got some fast players, but there are some teams that are better suited to do that. And they absolutely showed that. I mean, they were up and down the floor, everything in the paint. They could hit threes as well. They could block you at the rim. They could, I mean, they did everything. You, there, it's, it's interesting. We've heard a lot of terms uh, lately about 50-50 balls, which are complete effort-based. Rebounding and, and 50-50 balls are those effort-based things. And they're getting not just beat, they're getting pasted in all of those types of scenarios. And so seeing that, seeing that effort. And I was, I wish I could have been on that media call. I was in Jackson, California, covering a state championship game in the bitter cold, James. And, you know, I hate the cold. Um, And so I will say like, I couldn't get on that call. And then I go back to review it and I'm looking, okay, great. Here's Alvin Gentry. And he answered for his team. Fantastic. There you go. And here's Damon Jones. And here's Davion Mitchell. Damian Jones, a guy who doesn't play unless they're down 25 usually and has to help bring them back. And Davion Mitchell, who is probably the one guy on this team that you know what you're getting every night. These are not part of the problem. These are not part of the game's problem today, but it speaks more so to the enabling of bad behavior that just plagues this organization. That should have been part of your core. You should have had a buddy heel, De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes, to, to have Davion Mitchell, a rookie, and to have a guy who's like the 12th man on the bench come out and answer for that is inexcusable and toxic and, and really speaks to the enabling of terrible, terrible culture within this organization. And that's not a slam at the PR department because they have a very tough job, but it speaks loudly to the lack of leadership on this team. And it speaks loudly to the lack of give a damn. If, 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 if going to the media post game after you just got waxed is the worst part of your day, that speaks volumes as to where you are in it from a mental standpoint with this team. And then if you have a culture of an organization from a coaching staff and a front office that allows that to happen, that's even worse. I agree with every single thing you said. 
and I'll even like, there are three things I'm going to circle. Number one, you talk about the end of the second quarter. They looked timid and soft from the opening tip, the opening tip. And they did the same thing in Toronto. I mean, they're down 11 to nothing in Toronto. They looked timid and soft. And Alvin Gentry said, oh, it's my bad. I didn't get them prepared. Well, like what? Like, that's not okay. Like, hey, you're a coach. I get it. But these are grown-ass men. Go out there and do your job. So that's number one. Number two, the Alvin Gentry statement at the end was the most bizarre thing that I think I've seen in a King's press conference in a long, long time. Well, that's saying something. <laughs> there, there are a few. We'll get to that in a little while because there's another one that I'll bring up later. But the, we were done. We were done with him. He was, we were ready to, for waiting anxiously for Damian Jones and for Mitchell to show up. Uh, on pins and needles. Pins and needles <laughs> waiting for, you know, the guys to answer for what just happened. Another drubbing at the hand of a marginal team. Now that team has some some talent. They are onto something, but that's not a 25 point, 30 point loss. That but Alvin Gentry, like, hey, wait, wait, come on back. We were done with him. He goes, it literally he starts, hey, we're not quitters. And it was like, and we're gonna get this right. And and we're gonna get better. And it was something like that brief. Like mm-hmm. it. It gave, uh, like, my Sunday musings was specifically on that. It was like, hey, the problem I have, Sean, is that when you say, hey, we're not quitters, it is the biggest admission of all time. It that is you're an, quitters. Well, what it is is it's saying that I think that my media thinks we're quitters. Right. That's not good. <laughs> like, that's not – don't say that, Bensini. <laughs> like, it's – like that's one of those moments where you're like – no, like I understand what you're trying to do, but what you are doing is literally exposing your team for being quitters, or at least the idea that we think that they're quitters. And that's tough. Like, yeah. It, there, so it led to questions in the next game with Toronto. Okay. Which, and I know we haven't jumped that far ahead yet. No. But. And I, my, my third, like, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, there was a, a third thing that you talked about there and it was that, like the media relations staff, I, I like you have to force somebody to come out. Somebody well, has to come out and talk. That's this just is, not okay. And the reality of it is, and, and we can bring people behind the curtain, you have one person there with the, with the team. And if you don't empower that person, for example, let's say I go up to Marvin Bagley and I want Marvin Bagley to come speak to the media after the game. And he says, no. Okay, great. Well, I that was his and, first start of the season. Marvin Bagley correct, would have been correct. okay. And I'm not picking on Marv here. I mean, nope. I, I, there's like five guys I would have rather talked to that night. Yep. Like the, the way this works is there are requests that be are, are made and of who people are. You don't get to dictate who we speak to as, as media relations or as organizations. Like that's not how this works. And oftentimes there's media who don't hold this organization's feet to the fire when it comes to that. And so (laughs) they go out there and they're trying to get anybody. And mind you, this is tough because they are on the road and things tend to go a little quicker. Like you got to catch a plane. You're going to the next city. Mm -hmm. There are things that go rather quickly. So 
the media relations representative is really in a tough spot when you're not empowered. The minute I go to somebody and they tell me no, all right, Greg, I find somebody else. If they tell me no, first of all, that's unacceptable. And that media representative will then sit there and more times than not try to be like, no, hey, man, you have to do this. Like, it's your turn. You haven't gone this time. Like, whatever. Like, sometimes you can give somebody a pass, but it's like, no, man, like, we need somebody. You're, you're the guy. And if they further say no, there should be a freaking fine that comes along with that from the organization. That would be empowering your person in the position of having to get these people. I, now, in all truth and transparency, I don't know that there was not a fine. There may well could be. Uh, and the fine usually, let's be honest, these are millionaire athletes who uh, they don't would care. Be, they'd be fined something that would be to you and I maybe 10 cents on the ground that we found. So, um, but point being like there needs, there, there, it, there's a culture there where they don't empower people to uh, have this type of control, not control, but to have this type of influence over the team. Yes. And it's just like, a, well, whatever, you know, if, if they don't value something like that so small where you just get your teeth kicked in and you're going to put a rookie out there to answer for it because he may have had maybe the best game on the box on the box sheet, that, that's just completely unacceptable. Like that's not reading the room. Um, I mean, and, at least and give us unfair. Buddy. Buddy won't even talk. But at least give us Buddy. I mean, we've got Buddy Hill what once or twice the entire season. Well, and, and yeah, there's and it there's, came when he broke the record, right? Is that the last time we talked to him? Have we talked to him one we've, other? Time? We've had him some. We've had him at some practice time when there's the few practices they've had, and, and it's in been training few, camp. It's not it's since few, it's been few and far between. It hasn't had a lot of Buddy lately. But yeah, again, like, and you're in Sacramento, man. Like, there's a lot of let's just be frank. There's a lot of players on this team. And I say a lot, I know there's probably a couple that people will put in their mind's eye. Trust me. It's more that would probably rather be playing basketball in a different city. Okay. That's just reality. It's worse in other cities, guys. Like it's <laughs> like the media. I mean, I know, you know, the likes of New York's and Philadelphia, they get the, 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 the whole, you know, the, the, the perception of being rough media and tough media and all this other stuff. But it's like, no, it's, it's, it's tougher in other cities. It is. Um, this media group, I mean, you have a lot of fan blogs in this media group. Like you don't have a lot of what would be called traditional media. And you're literally like, if you're listening to the podcast, you're listening to the two senior most members of the media group or the two most senior members of the media group by a long shot. Yeah. I, I guess maybe you can say Antonio Harvey's been there. Right. And, and, well, and and, but, and, and at least as an affiliate, you've got the B there, you know, like the B is still, yeah. even though people have changed over the years like that, I would still, I would look at your organization, like take the faces away, take you and I away. Like you, you've got one TV station who's covering you realist, re, uh, you know, regularly. Yep. Okay. You've got one newspaper that's covering you well and, and the observer. So you've got two newspapers that are covering you regularly. Great. You don't have the rest of it at that point becomes rather fan blogs or, or inside media, which is team media. And again, these are, I don't, I'm not trying to slam anybody here, but these are media is media at the end of the day. Like these are very much um, the, the tone of questions and the, and the way things come out can be softer, a little bit of softball stuff. I mean, look, some people are asking some tough questions. That's a good thing. And, and look, I don't think you have to 
come out and beat anyone over the head. But this point being is like, if the players are worried about, oh God, I got to go through that again. It's like, what would you, I mean, the, the loss is worse than anything you got to go through. Oh, totally. Like, talking yep. about it should be either therapeutic. You do the bare minimum. You don't have to say a whole hell of a lot. You need to get on with your day, but you're going out there and you're taking responsibility. It's, it's an ownership of your team. It's being the representative, the mouthpiece of your team, explaining what happened. I'll often, and I'll be honest, it can be a silly game sometimes. Yes. But it's done because it's history. Like these, the, at the end of the day, these games are a part of history and you're chronicling the, what happened in the game, what happened, what the mindset is, what the big picture is. And, and, you know, you're hearing it, the tough part is on a football team, you've got so many guys you can talk to baseball. You have so many guys you can talk to in basketball. You're pretty much talking to the same people all the time, yep. but it's because they're the most impactful night in and night out and they're well compensated for that. So it, it, it it's just crazy to me to think that the, the hardest part of their job is dealing with the big, bad media. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to skip to, to Monday because Monday is where this conversation that we're currently having really takes even more shape. So we have the bad loss on Friday. Fox does talk to the media where he takes ownership of missing the, the two free throws. He, he didn't show people what he should have showed them, the frustration, the anger, but he still took accountability for that. We get to Saturday, we have no accountability. We have Damian Jones and, and Mitchell. We have the weird statement about we're not quitters. So that becomes the headline of the day. We get to Monday, and once again, the team does not show up. And it's another brutal showing. And there's a couple of things that happen here. Um, we are going to play some audio here in just a minute where uh, we're going to go through some of the, the moments that Fox had. Um, but it started with Harrison Barnes and Sean just talked about how, like, look, a bunch of, a bunch of people aren't asking questions or like some of these guys don't know how to ask questions. Uh, and, and just so you know, like I've been working with some of the young guys that are on, that are learning the ropes on how to phrase a question on how to get something impactful out of somebody. So you don't become a tagline which, you know, some of the questions have become a tagline this season, unfortunately, uh, with, with some of the players. So we get to Harrison Barnes, and I was slightly distracted. I'll be honest, Sean. Uh, <laughs> working I asked, from home. <laughs> I, I asked the first question, <laughs> working from home. I assume that we would have more than you and I and Jason Anderson, right? Is that all that asked questions of Harrison? It might have been. I, I, I can't remember, but I know there it was, was only, only like, like three, three questions. Yeah. Harrison started out saying something on the lines of, well, I, I only come out when things go bad, which again, that's where on we, him. where that's, were you, where were you on Saturday, pal? Yeah, that that's on him. That's not on us. And, and to be honest with you, for us, it's better when Harrison Barnes doesn't talk because he takes over an hour to come to the media session. He, he doesn't just go and take shower. In fairness, in fairness, like they, if he does talk, they, they bring him out right away because, uh, because he goes, he goes and gets treatment. Treatment. Yeah. 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 So it's a cat and mouse game. He plays that Fox plays that, mm -hmm. um, even Saturday night I had had enough. I'm like 35 minutes into a blank screen and I just like logged off to zoom. I'm like, it's Saturday night. I'm not going to sit here and do this again. You guys just got your ass kicked and I'm going to sit here and talk to Damian Jones and Mitchell and, 
and then wait and wait and wait for who who's going to come out. And then I logged off and then they didn't get anyone else. So I, I don't know if it was part of that because Sean wasn't there and I wasn't there. I'm like, yeah, I'm just not doing this. Um, but Harrison Barnes, he even admits to like, Hey, I come out when, when we get our ass kicked. Yeah. Um, and then we, we were going through this, right. This, this moment where again, they've, they just can't figure out success. They, they, they seem to like the highs and lows of this team are just so crazy. And it's what I wrote on in my Sunday musings. Like it, you know, we're not quitters is, is a tagline, but at the same time, this team has shown us already who they are and who they're not. This team is not a, if they do somehow squeeze into the play-in, it's as a nine or the 10, maybe they get lucky. They get up to the eight. This is not a, a sustainable winner. You can see it right now. This is not a team that can rattle off, you know, six to eight playoff seasons, which is what you're really always trying to, you're trying to build a team up to when they get to the playoffs, it's a long stretch. Well, that's not who these guys are. We can see that already. So blow it up or, or go get help. Those are your two options. And that was my point in Sunday musings, but we get to the end of, we get to Fox and Sean, like that was the press conference that fans have been waiting for from De'Aaron Fox. Like we've had players have moments before where all of a sudden it makes sense. But I thought that Fox came in and it was almost weird, right? He, uh, he, his new fashion thing is to wear uh, do rags, right? And, and he came out and he sat down and then he proceeded to like take his time putting on his do rag and he was rolling it up and he was getting it all situated. You could watch the video. It's part of the zoom. It, it lasted. I was watching. It was like 45 seconds to a minute where I'm like, huh, this is interesting. And it's like any questions. And I, again, I think I asked the first question. I could see him opening up a little bit. And then Tony Harvey hit him with a question. When, and Tony was very passionate and it came on the hills of, you know, again, there's a team meeting and he wouldn't answer that question. Uh, I think I asked about success and failure and getting caught in these things. And then uh, Tony like almost had an accusatory tone because he was clearly frustrated. I, th I think he, I think he asked a question after mine, which was, yeah. Uh, Is there a numbness that comes along with some of this? And, yes. and, and what I'm in, what I'm talking about was like, they're trying to have these hold accountable moments. And, and I, would, I would argue that Saturday is a moment where they drop the ball, where in Cleveland, part of speaking to the media and representing your team is holding yourself accountable. Like that's part of it. Yep. And so here they are, and you do talk to the core of the team. You're talking to members of the core of the team to explain another terrible loss that just compounded what happened in Cleveland. And if you remember also what Alvin is talking about, Alvin's trying to put responsibility on himself, yep. which is just, just BS. Like, like I, I, we get it, Alvin, but it ain't you. It ain't you, pal. <laughs> so, and, and did you ask that question? Somebody asked about Alvin taking the hit. Is that fair? Yeah, that's, it was, it, it, yeah, I asked, I had asked Fox about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I I followed that up at one point, but I, I I wanted to ask him about like just is there a numbness that comes to this? How is it impacting the team? And 
I think that's what triggered Antonio coming off of that question because he talked about looking like you don't care and how people would like give their, you know, left arm to play in the NBA kind of a thing. So yeah. it, it happened to, to fall into a pride type of overall theme category with this team. Like, do you guys play with any pride? Do you have any pride? Like you can't like seeing this. And so he got into the discussion of, and I thought De'Aaron actually made really good points in there because I do think too often people misconstrue an effort where you go out and you get, you know, beat by 25 points or whatever mm-hmm. as though you didn't play hard because no, like there's a level, there's a level of compete, but you're just not executing. There's not an execution. Um, there's a, as you like to say, the and Jaeger would say the let go of the rope and, yeah. you know, things types to start to compound. And the one thing that stood out in that game, like a sore thumb to me was the way that second quarter happened again, like the, the same thing we saw in Cleveland happened again in Toronto. And it's, and it's involving the very core members of this group, the start, a lot of the starters in the, in this group. And it, and I, I look at that and I go, my God, like, how did that happen again? Like, what, like, again, it gets back to the whole, is this just who we are? And I think what De'Aaron was doing passionately was pointing out the fact there's execution and there's, it's not that we're not playing hard. It's not like there's like that guys aren't competing. Certainly it can look different from one night to another to where you can go, Oh, you guys competed harder here because your effort here had a, you know, you only lost by three in that game or what have you, but Mm -hmm. he's talking about execution. He's talking about the, as he he used the term, (laughs) he used among the many expletives, the term sharp, the sharpness of it, like how, how, you know, bang, bang, bang. Like how, how's it, is it crisp? Is it fluid? Is it sharp? Like whatever those adjectives you want to use, like these are, these are, these are very descriptive words for what he's trying to talk about, which is essentially the effectiveness and impactfulness and how efficient and how, you know, all these teams, what your team is doing night in and night out. And it comes on the heels of Harrison Barnes just saying, and I think this is what led to the moment where people stopped asking questions, which was, which, and again, asking questions, guys, you have to literally hit your, uh, your, your, you have to raise your, your hand, raise your hand on zoom. So yeah. it's not like you could just chime in and, and, and get him before he leaves. Although I'm, you know, I guess you could unmute, but, um, it, it's it's he had just come out and say we just didn't play as a team we talked about it and i'm going to leave it at that and to me that was like a drop the mic moment like okay enough said like you you said you said your piece you you're accountable you're you've talked about it for two minutes now it's it's kind of done and so when you fast forward to what uh De'Aaron in his session there was an accountability there was him trying to illustrate to Tony and to some other people in that group about, and, and really to fans because it gets caught up. So, Oh, you didn't play hard. You didn't play hard. It's like, no, it's, it's not that you didn't play hard. It's you didn't execute. You don't have the execution that you, that you don't keep your foot on the gas. You don't, yep. you know, there's a let up, there's a, Oh, we can, we can lollygag through this play uh, and, and lollygag through that play. And there's the, there's the, you're a lollygagger. <laughs> That's all you are. Right. That movie. I forget the movie. Anyway. Um, point being like fox i think took some accountability there and yeah i do think it was impactful i think he used some from some some terms that in some language that were very strong uh but i think he illustrated a great point there i really do and i think it resonated obviously with some people um but for anyone to to go and go oh well that's the fox we want and it's like okay but that's the same guy that was smiling after missing two free throws 
like everyone's different. Everyone handles things differently. Like the, it may not live up to what you're, you like, and that's fine. Like whatever. I, I would just, I, I just don't think that's necessarily fair because it is the same person. It's the same person that spoke, spoke this way. And it's not like he reached his breaking point. It's no, it's, he's illustrating a point. He's trying to make a point of, it's not just people will say play hard and it's not play hard. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with the play hard. Fox has a tendency when he, when he starts to get, like when he's fully engaged with media, that's when he starts cursing. And uh, I think that that moment, he, he was lashing back at Tony. And, and I'll just say this, like we have on Friday, we have this moment where he literally lost the game. We can talk about there was a moment here, a moment there. It shouldn't have got down to this. It shouldn't have got, it doesn't matter. You got to the free throw line with a chance to win the game. You hit two free throws, you win. There's two point something seconds on the clock. They don't have a timeout. You are going to win that game like 98% of the time if he hits the two free throws. He doesn't hit them. We get to Saturday. Saturday was one of Fox's worst performances I've ever seen. Isaac Okoro ran him over just going to the basket, and Fox just got out of the way. Defensively, right. he did not resist, but it was also said, already <laughs> it was already gone. Like you could yeah. feel like the team had already let go, and that game was a loss from the moment the ball went up in the air. You could read the body language from the opening seconds. It was like they're bigger and taller and stronger than us, and we're not going to go inside. We're just going to sit here and, and do silly things. We get to Monday, and I feel like, again, it's three days, three games and four nights on the road, all over the place, playing against teams that are struggling with COVID, teams that are struggling with injuries. Like you're missing Rashawn Holmes. Like it's all chaotic. I thought that. That moment with Fox was one of the better moments that he's had in a long time. There's been so many times this season where he comes out and he's either angry and doesn't want to talk or he, he talks, but it's really not saying a lot. This was a, I think this was his moment where he actually showed that he cared. And I know that like he needed that moment because a lot of fans started to believe he didn't care. Mm -hmm. And, and, I don't think that that's really fair. I think what Sean said there about, like, I don't think that De'Aaron always knows how to, in the moment, he does not know how to, like, like put it out there. He doesn't know how to, like. To articulate it. Yeah, when he's sitting down at a table and there's a Zoom call or there's people in front of him, he's frustrated from a loss. He's angry that he's he's once again sitting in front of the media after a bad loss. You know, like, he can't really articulate it. And again, De'Aaron Fox didn't have to be the guy who talked that night. Like Tyrese Halliburton could have talked. I mean, he took two shots. Like, come on, bro. That's not okay. That's on you. As much, it's on Halliburton as much as it is on any other player on this team. Mm -hmm. It's on him for not showing up in those moments. Like I asked Alvin Gentry, do you feel like your team gets shots and they just don't take them? And he said, yes. Like, I don't understand it either. Like I, I saw the same thing. There was one play where like four dudes passed on a three point shot on one possession. All of them were wide open. Not a single one of them were ready to shoot the ball. They just caught it, looked at it and then passed it to the next guy. Like I watch the Brooklyn nets. Every single dude is poised and ready to fire. That's just not the Kings. They're, they're lazy in the moment. They're not ready in the moment. So anyway, we get to Fox and 
I, I, you sensed it. I sensed it. Like he's having one of those honest moment nights. And that's why I asked him the question about, you know, whether or not he cares if he cares about winning and cares about getting to the team, to the playoffs, because I could see that he had had his moment where he had got angry, but also where he was being introspective and engaged in the conversation. And I think he needed that moment because a lot of fans were, are just not happy. They're just not happy with the way that he looks, the smile, the angry face, the, like the body language, everything. And I thought that that was like one of those moments. So we're going to, we're going to take a break here for two seconds and we're just going to run. It's probably like four or five minutes worth of clips and let you guys hear some of the questions and some of the answers. Uh, the, the question from Tony Harvey, um, he, he drops a bunch of, uh, MFers and you know, so if, if you got kids in the room or if you're at work, uh, turn the volume down, but let's, let's roll the tape, Sean. Sorry. I'm asking this question with pure respect. Um, whether it's in the moment, in the locker room, uh, you know, away from the court, do you guys ask each other, <laughs> what are you playing for? I mean, you guys got storybook careers. I mean, a lot, a lot of people want to be in your position. They will go out and play their hearts out. Is, is it, do you guys ever ask each other that, you know, before you take the, uh, take the court? Um, I mean, the thing is, it's not, it's not about just like playing hard. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not too many people in this world that could be a lazy motherfucker and make it to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Everybody played hard to get here. Everybody plays hard when they're here. It's about, you know, just being sharp, everything that you do. Um, obviously, you know, with that second group that they had, um, you know, Toronto there, there's no one out there that's just going to go out there and get a bucket. Um, but everything they do is quick, sharp to the point. They know exactly what they need to do. And, and they're running shit to a, to a T, you know what I'm saying? It's not too many teams in this league that are running complicated stuff. Uh, it's, it's just not a thing. Most people have a coach from a similar coaching staff and they copy whatever coach that they were under and everybody's running the same shit. So when we're out there, it's just about being sharp. Now, you know, if it's a loose ball, 50-50 ball, shit like that, then, then yeah, you know, it's about playing hard. But when you're out there and, you know, coverages, you know, your coverage ain't about playing hard. Your coverage is about being sharp. So um, when we're out there running a play, it's not about just, you know, you, obviously you want to run the play fast and get into your shit, but it's not about doing the play hard. It's about doing it sharp. So, you know, if, if the timing is off, that's not about playing hard. That's about being sharp. If, if we fuck up a coverage where you're not supposed to switch and you switch or vice versa, whatever it may be, it's not about playing hard. It's about being sharp. You're not giving up a hundred and, 30 because you're not playing hard. Yeah, Dearn, just how difficult has this been? Just the way that it just keeps stacking up like this. You guys have your moments where things are good, but it seems like you you can't really embrace the success. And then when the failures come, they really start to compound. Yeah, I mean, if if we want to be, you know, the team that we want to be, then um when, when these things happen, you know, you don't let you don't let it it, it steamroll for you know, three, four games. If it's one or two games, then you, you know, look yourself in the mirror and, and you fix whatever that problem is. And, um, you know, right now we haven't done that. Um, you know, obviously we lose the Charlotte game the way we did. And then the, these last two, um, obviously in Cleveland, I mean, we were on a back-to-back, -back, but so were they. Uh, they played in Minnesota the night before. So, you know, that's not an excuse. Um, we just have to be, we just have to come out, be ready. Um, 
and, and stop waiting until we get hit, you know, for us to hit back. De'Aaron, you're, you seem very passionate tonight. You care about winning and you care about trying to make it to the playoffs, right? I mean, I hadn't lost since I, and, and, until I got here. So for 18 years of life, 19 years of life, every step that I played basketball, I was winning something. So I don't know how you do that, make it to the NBA, and then now you just don't care about winning. Everybody talks about, you know, if you get paid, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Nobody likes to lose, regardless of what level you're on. Um, whether if you're getting paid or if you're playing for free, nobody likes to lose. So, you know, I, I think that's a, I think it's a dumb question. Um, obviously, you know, not to you, um, but obviously everybody, everybody wants to win. All right. We're back, Sean. Just what are your thoughts? It, it, that's one of the more honest moments that I think Fox has had. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, it's, everything that I expect. I think he's doing it in his way. I do think there's some passion there. I think there's also the competitiveness of just the, of, of him. He, he has these moments too, where he can take a question directly. Right. And he can kind of try and shoot that down. And I think that's what he did with, with Tony and showing that, no, we do care. Like the, 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 you know, no, nobody here is, is used to losing. Like we've all won on, on levels all throughout that. The only time I've ever had losing is coming to Sacramento. So, um, some guys just don't know how to lose and handle it well, you know? And I think, and I, I look, I think what he said was fine. I don't know that it was, I would disagree slightly. Like, I don't think, I think it's the most passion we've heard from him in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being in the locker room several years ago, you would get this a little bit more frequently, but it's harder. It's just more stale and harder over zoom. Some people just aren't good at it. Um, yeah. It's, it's cold. Right. It's not, yeah, there's not a personal, there's not like eight people surrounding you. I mean, we're getting a little bit of that at practice again. Yeah. But we're not and allowed even, in the locker room and we're not going to be loud in the locker room probably the rest of the season. And, and it is even getting better even at home games because at least we're in the room and you can see somebody. And honestly, like, you know, <laughs> you could, like, I've had, and this is usually most of them are just my poking fun moments. Like, if you remember when, uh, Tyrese Halliburton was walking off the, the, the stage of the, mm-hmm. in the press conference. And I just will kind of remark out to him kind of loudly uh, that, you know, I don't think I ever doesn't make the cut. So bringing the curtain back a little bit, but you know, he, he has those little, as you called taglines, um, but they're really more like punchlines, things that he's just holding on to, to rib certain media members like Brendan Nunez and, and yourself in, in talking about certain things. So, you know, he did it. So um openly in that and, and it was a way to where I think there were some people that actually took him literally and so as he's walking off the stage I just literally go yo man you're like you're low-key a troll aren't you like like this is this shit is funny like what you're doing is really really funny but like I think it's not it's not landing quite the way you want it because there are people outside of this media room that hear what you're saying they, they're not they, getting the context. They they didn't they're, get the all they're joke. seeing is a is a quote tweet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't get the joke. So like yeah. it like and I don't think he cares. I think he actually would. And I don't want to say he doesn't care because I think people might hear that the wrong way. I think he finds amusement in that, even yeah. still. You know what I mean? So like it's not it. 
in a way it also kind of takes your your attention away from like the bigger problem at hand which is like you're a very inconsistent ball club so even when you have maybe made a stride here or there and you're talking about it um to make light of it or whatever is kind of puts a veil a cloak over this thing that that maybe you're not looking at it the same way that you should and it kind of brings back to the larger portion which is again people getting so high over highs and low over lows when it's really again what's the record under alvin gentry right now uh five and six your 500 basketball team essentially you know what i mean and it's yep. like if if you're like if we regardless of how the sausage is made right if you're saying right now after the firing of Luke Walton that you're five and six after firing Luke Walton, what are you saying, James? You're just not that good. You're just, you're well, but, but even you are who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But more to the point, like if I told, okay, let's, let's, let's even take it a step further at the end of this season, James, if I say you're one, if you finish one game under 500 at the end of the season, you're a playoff basketball team. Okay. So again, the, the, the weight of all these wins and losses and, and whatever, like it ultimately, if they're a playoff basketball team at the end of the year, did they, they, they met their, they met, they, they understood the assignment and they met it. Right. Yeah. So again, I know this is a very sample, small sample size, only 10 games under Alvin Gentry, but they feel, I know right now they feel worse because you're in a stretch where you just lost three straight on the road and you did it by getting your teeth kicked in in two of them. And the defense is a problem. And, everything's ugly but at the end of the day you're what you're 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 essentially a 500 basketball team under alvin gentry right now and if you're one or two games under 500 at the end of the season after all is said and done like you're you would be a playoff team at that point so you know i'm not saying that that what all i'm trying to do is paint a picture of as bad as it seems if they were still just that at the end of the year who cares the way everything kind of fell into place you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. who cares the way those ultimately you would still, that's why you can't, that's, it, maybe it's be the baseball player in me, right? Because you have so many games and, and I always feel like um, basketball is, is very, is the closest basketball and hockey are very close to that because they have so many games. But when you look at, at the end of the, at the end of the season, you look at your win total, right? And right now look at the West, like they're what a game and a half or a half game out of what that 10th seed is. And that's why I always argue, like, if your goal is just to be a 10th seed for the playoff game or be an eight seed in the, in the NBA, like, that's not good. I know it, it would be progress here in Sacramento because they haven't done it in 15 seasons, but that just speaks to how really terrible things have been, yeah. you know, so that, that, that they would celebrate something like this. So, um, yeah, man, I know there's a lot wrong with it right now, but again, they've got, I know home court, home cooking hasn't been great to Sacramento either. But they've got 10 of their next 12 at home. They're home for the holidays. They don't leave the state of California until they leave for Denver on January 6th. So if there was ever a time to get right, and if there was ever a time, and I know we're looking at tomorrow, Jan, uh, December 15th, when, you know, that, that, that magic fr- day. Yeah. And I, and, and I think it's partly our fault for bringing attention to this. Cause I think now all of a sudden people are thinking, hell yeah, people are making, they're going to make all these trades on December 15th. No, no, they're not. No, they, they might do it in January. My point being is that's, you need that day to provide more options. You need really Christmas day to really have that strong sample size among NBA teams to where they can literally look at their team and say, well, this is what we have. Because as we all like to say, Christmas is the is the unofficial opening day of NBA. That's when people start really paying attention to the NBA, the casual fan, all that stuff. 
but it also signifies the open for business. You've got yeah. some really big games on Christmas Day. Point being, between now and mid-January, mid and of course, before the trade deadline, like things should be very, very frenetic. Like I think you're going to see a lot of activity. You should see it in Sacramento. You absolutely shouldn't see it in Sacramento. And I don't, I can't think of a better time to do it than during a time, during a stretch where you're 10 and 12 at home. You don't leave the state of California uh, until January 6th. Like this is calendar wise, this makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, there's no reason to wait. This team is right. bad. There's Why? no they're reason bad. to wait. Yeah. And, yeah, and you know, Sean, it's just that the highs, like you feel like, oh, I think they figured it out. And then they let you down every single time. And then you're like, I, I just don't under like I've never seen a team that and, and Alvin Gentry is insane that cannot deal with success and failure the way that this team can. And that tells me that like it does not matter who's coaching this team or anything else. The players have to change. We're at that point. Like you need to you need I don't to, care how many of them, it like there needs to be major, major changes. Yeah, you need to to disrupt the core, the foundation, whatever that that yeah. may look like in your eyes. Uh it doesn't mean, you know. You need to explore it. To me, I was, you know, and I know this sounds very Hoosiers in a way, but if I was, if I was Monty McNair, Wes Wilcox, Joe Dumars, Vivek Ranadive, I'd either meet with players individually or I would speak in front of the team and I'd walk in there. And I think I've said this before. I'd say, look, guys, we're not good. We have aspirations beyond the season of being a, of sustained success. We're going to do everything we can to become, and from that, just, I want you all to know and hear it from me. I'm shopping every one of you. Every single one of you. There's not one of you that's untouchable, no matter how well we pay you. So I just want you to know, and nothing will happen. If anything, if anything happens, you're going to hear it from me first. You know, that's a big thing. They do need to make sure that that they don't go to Woj and tell him before they tell their players. Right. I would say, look, you may hear your name linked to some things. You might, and it's very, very possible. But but you will hear it from me first if and when something happens. Yeah. You know, and that's very important. Or, or at least say that's the goal <laughs> and yeah, make every is, effort to do I act- that. I actually said this exact same thing on D'Lo and Casey the other day. They said, if you're the GM, I said, well, I, I need 10 more games. And it was probably like four or five games ago. And now I know yeah. I, I don't need those 10 more yeah. games anymore. But the other thing is, it. it's you not, know, I would tell the players, you know, like I'm giving you 10 more games to, to shape up, show me that you can do this, show me that you're willing to embrace success and if you're not, I'm going to make wholesale changes. There's going to be, do none of you sign a long-term lease. Do not buy a house unless Sacramento is your new summer home. Uh, right. Do not do any of that because none of you are safe and I've had enough. Like, do I have a list of players that I, that I really don't want to move on from? Yeah, it's Fox, it's Halliburton, it's uh, Rashawn Holmes. But outside of that, like, I mean, we saw, what was it, uh, Jordan Schultz, did like the biggest captain obvious of all time. Uh, the Kings have made Buddy Hield available. Uh, bro, Buddy Hield's been available <laughs> for 18 months. Like they've made him available nonstop. I mean, he was almost traded on draft day. Like the dude is so, he's as available as he is, like has a green light to shoot a three pointer that much available he's neon green which one's more neon available which one's more neon yeah uh he's neon neon green like beyond uh, it might even be like day glow green yeah which one burns brighter yeah whichever that that one highlighter pin is it's so green you're like oh my gosh that's green 
that's where he is as far as available. And, you know, like Anderson said, you know, the Kings are shopping a package of Buddy Heald and, and Marvin Bagley. Uh, yeah. I mean, they basically have been like in a two pack. They're like when you go to Costco and you want cranberry juice and you get two of them, they're in a two pack together. Like the Kings are shopping them. Like, like it doesn't matter if they go to two different teams, it, two different teams. That means that you put the cranberry juice over the side rail of your cart. So one is on the outside and one is in the inside. There's still a two pack. They're still going to, they're still trying to shop those two together. Now, whether they find a taker for those two, it really depends on how many first round picks that they want to throw in and what players available. Now, as far as like, we'll get to this too, as far as Sabonis, as far as um, like uh, Miles Turner, we just heard that like, Hey, Anderson again said, Hey, uh, they're not in on those discussions. Yeah. They, they weren't in on them like for one second. That doesn't mean that they're not in on them today or tomorrow or the day after that. Well, like, look, Every, can I can I can I ahead. point out can I point out an obvious thing here? Yeah, go for uh, it. If for people who may not know, you know, Demonis Sabonis and Bogdan Bogdanovich share the same agent. Oh, yeah. So like, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I will say this. I will say this. What are you What are you saying, Sean? Are you I'm saying just, no, follow, no, no. follow the the yellow just, brick road like the just, breadcrumbs? Just, just. <laughs> Just know your history. Dropping breadcrumbs. Just know your history. Um, (laughs) The other thing I'll say is uh, whether or not conversations like this is one of the things that drove me crazy during the whole Ben Simmons thing, which is like, oh, De'Aaron Fox isn't available or has not been discussed, or there's a hands-off approach on De'Aaron Fox. It's like for what was discussed, like, and, and then like, oh, and then you have a report, oh, they haven't spoken in in weeks. It's like, yeah from what was discussed back when, like these things are so fluid. It's not like, yeah. it's not like you need to have a letter of Congress to pick up a phone and start having internal discussions about moving players. Right. So, and I'm not saying that to say that they're, they're shopping deer and Fox. I'm just saying like, when you see a report like that, oftentimes it has pertains to the conversation or the deal or the framework that may have been bandied about weeks ago. Right. And Sean, you and I both know that the Sacramento Kings are not the source for any of the, any of this. They're not the source for any. Well, <laughs> I, well I won't go that far. I won't go that far. <laughs> I mean, for the, for the most part at this point, I mean, we understand that some of it. Yeah. <laughs> I won't go that far, but I will say I, this, my, this is what I'm trying to get to. Oftentimes the Kings right now, especially when you get a new GM in there, and this is no slight to money. Okay. But there are teams that are going to look at Sacramento as, oh, you have to you have to operate out of a sense of desperation right now. Yep. Your team sucks. You need it. You need it worse than we need it. And people are going to try and take advantage of that. So, again, some of the things I've credited Monty from before was sometimes it's the moves you don't make that speak louder, you know. And, again, <laughs> you can have Bagley and, and Buddy out there as this duo that, that is – you know, ultimately the, the, the catalyst of a movie you want to make. Okay, great. But that doesn't mean it's like, they're the only ones. It's kind of the, oh, it's kind no. of the effect of what I was saying last week about what we learned with Indiana. And it's like, okay, 
you're willing to move off these pieces. You have a report that you're that that's out there, and it's like, okay, Malcolm Brogdon's not a part of it. That's the guy you should be wanting to move right now. Isn't that weird? Every, He's the oldest wants, of them. Right. Everyone wants Chris Duarte, you know, because it's team control. It's this, it's that. Like, why would you – what has Demonis Savonis done that makes you want to get rid of him? Like, why – if you're if you're Indiana, why would you? He just certainly the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Right. He's, what, 25? He's 25 and a two-time All-Star. Yeah, um, and averages 20 points, 12 rebounds, and seven assists. And is an incredible playmaker, you know? Yeah. Like – Give me the playmaker. I get it. That's who I, I want. Like, I get it. Like, Indiana's not good right now. And you've got a lot of pieces on that team that, that, like, I understand. I'm not trying to say that, like, it's fool's gold or the boy who cried wolf here. But there's very strategic ways of getting things out there. You know, Sabonis could be traded. I'm not saying that he's not. But oftentimes, like, yeah, you might have, like, that doesn't mean one of these guys isn't going to stick around. And, again, if you think the asking price for Ben Simmons is high, what what do you think it's going to be for somebody like Demonis Sabonis? So yeah, um, I think there's a lot. a lot of there's a lot of teams that that the word leverage comes up a lot. And if you're Sacramento, and the things I've been heard from a lot of other people around the league about Monty McNair is he's going to want to be attached to everything. Yeah. They want they want to explore almost everything. They want to. Well, see, they also want to look busy. Yeah, it what it what it's something I always like to call the illusion of progress. You know. Yeah. It's you, you, you can, you can be doing all these, you know, gyrations and things like that, but how far did you walk? You know, like you didn't really move forward all that much. So, yeah, well, I think we've all worked with those people who really have uh, like mastered the art of looking busy. And in the NBA, <laughs> that means that your name comes up in every single yeah. potential all-star because I mean, if you you're mentioned enough, then maybe something happens, but but Until James, I think, I think it's important. I, I say the illusion of progress in that regard, but I'm not saying it as a bad thing. Like you want to be tied to so many things because it provides options. Like if the, if it's Ben Simmons, you're not getting Ben Simmons, but in an effort to move Ben Simmons, you need a third or fourth or fifth, even fifth team. Like, yeah, jump in there and see what there, there's, there's options. There's things that become like, I think that is a good thing. You want to explore all possibilities. You want yeah, I think to know it's a good thing too. But at yeah. some point, Sean, you have to do something. At yeah, some point, but like, it, what if that something? What if that something is you being absolutely raked over the coals? Like, and again, I, I'm going back to a few years ago, not that long ago, but the Philly trade that will haunt this franchise for such a long time. Vladi Divac came in and thought he had to do something. He wanted Rondo in the worst way. He wanted to find money for Caspi. He he wanted to do all these things. And it, it, I have to get Jason Thompson off these books. Carl Landry. Carl Landry. By Stauskas. any means necessary. And that trade was terrible. And it set the team back. And for what? To sign Omri Caspi, Costa Kufis, and, and Rajon Rondo and Marco Bellinelli. Yeah. Like, and I'll even tell you, it, the trade didn't work out that badly in the end. I mean, it looked bad. Optics it was, of it. It's yeah. a difference between having Jason Tatum and having De'Aaron Fox, but the Kings were probably going to draft Fox at number three anyways. Outside of that, it's uh, Romeo Langford. And I'll also say, so when we look at these trades, like you say, some of the best trades that didn't happen are the ones, uh, some of the best things that happen are the things that didn't happen. Right. Um, I'll, I'll say this. Sometimes we overreact so badly to a trade and that, that trade on paper looks so horrible. But I'll also tell you that when they they traded DeMarcus Cousins 
and got Buddy Heal and got Buddy Healed and the number ten pick in the two thousand seventeen NBA draft. The Kings were actually a playoff contender. They were like the thirteenth or fourteenth pick. That trade, that pick, was on their way on its way to the Chicago Bulls as part of the Omri Caspi JJ Hickson trade from like two thousand and twelve. Like for five years, this pick had been held up and it just kept getting moved. It went from, you know, from Cleveland to Chicago. And then they were getting that pick. Chicago was, it was a top 10 protected pick. The Kings Mm -hmm. traded DeMarcus Cousins. They tanked the rest of the season. That pick slid down to number eight. It jumped up to number three, back to number five because of the pick swap and because Because of the ping pong ball and the ping pong balls. So it became De'Aaron Fox. So because you traded to Marcus Cousins, you didn't just get Buddy healed, and you didn't just get the 10th pick and then botch the 10th pick so royally trading it for 15 and 20. You also realistically got De'Aaron Fox in that deal because if not, that pick was going to someone else. And so it's got to be looked at as part of the same thing. And again, we can, we can hash over all the things that didn't happen. I'll just tell you this. In the last two years, the best player that the Kings could have had on their roster was Bogdan Bogdanovich, and they chose not to keep him, and they would be a better team today if they would have kept him. And so while I think some of the best moves that you don't make are the ones that, you know, what you're saying, Sean, I still, uh, I look at this and go, you've only, the only thing you did was sign Hassan Whiteside and, uh, Glenn Robinson, the third, and then you had a good draft. Well, that draft pick was anyone was going to take that pick. Everyone in the league was going to draft Tyrese Halliburton with the number 12 pick. Vladi Divac would not have botched that pick. Right. And then we get to the trade deadline. You made three quality deals, but they, all they did was give you the depth that you should have already gone out and gotten that off season. They gave you just a little bit of depth. That's not enough. You get into the offseason, you sign Alex Len, you trade for Tristan Thompson, you re-sign Harkless and, and Terrence, Jones, uh, Terrence Davis, you get another draft pick. You very well could have botched that draft pick. I mean, the jury's going to be out on that for like three seasons. That could be one of the all-time botched jobs of a draft pick. We just don't know what the players are going to be behind him. But like, you haven't done enough. Like At some point, you have to do something. This is a bad team. It is a franchise that's stuck. It has a $131 million payroll. Yeah. Like this, this has a playoff payroll, and they're not even remotely close to being anything that could be considered a surefire lock for a playoff spot. And we're not even talking playing. Like they're not even a lock for a playing spot. That that's how bad this is. Mm-hmm. Something has to change. And the thing that has to change, you keep firing coaches. The thing that has to change is the core. And yeah, that's no, I'm, 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 I don't disagree with any of that. All I'm saying is I've given him credit for sometimes not taking it, not doing one of those moves that you're not the beneficiary of, that you're not clearly getting better with, you know, and those are the, those are sometimes the things that are the tough decisions because people think you're going to have to make a move out of desperation and it's not. Yeah, like, it comes like back to the the old adage: if if you can't tell who the sucker is in the room, then it's you. 
you look in the mirror <laughs> What's the, and okay and again i think we've had this conversation before i think you'll know where i'm going but your most attractive piece that your team holds is a draft pick before you attach a name to it and it's even burning brighter right now because you suck if you can't trade a draft pick for a good player right now then you're not good at this yeah. Because you're the Sacramento Kings. You've missed the playoffs for 15 consecutive years. Your draft pick might be the most valuable draft pick in the NBA because you know that this team cannot get out of its own way. And so the chance of that being a great draft pick is really high. It's, it's really high. All right, Sean, we've killed this. We've, we've beat it down. Thankfully. It, now it's time to get to the business of basketball are you ready dun, for this dun, dun. I might boom, be. boom boom yeah okay so De'Aaron Fox had a moment I like the moment to be honest with you I, I thought like I know he he was emotional like afterwards I like I even heard he was like emotional walking off um he needed to show that he needed to have that moment Sean what is the most honest moment you've had with an NBA player in your stretch of in your time covering the league, because I, I mean, I got a couple of thoughts, but um, we've been in the locker room for some zany moments. You've covered, you know, teams that I didn't, but what is the most honest moment that you can think of where a player just laid it out there or said something or showed you a side of them that just made you go, huh? I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I think for me, the one that leaps off the page the most is uh, I went to a evening practice at Golden One Center. Uh, and it's when the Boston Celtics came to town and it was Isaiah Thomas's first trip back. And here he is as this uh, MVP candidate. Celtics are great. Uh, he's a big reason for it. And here he is making a trip return, his first trip to Golden One Center. And uh, I went over there. I was the only media member there from out of town and had a, had a chat with him. And it was great. Got it on camera, which is always the hard part for in my, in my, in my realm, because I can have a lot of conversations with guys. Um, but I've also got to get it on camera for the audience, obviously. So uh, had a great moment with him reflecting back on his time in Sacramento and how it, you know, obviously he had had a stop after, you know, getting moved over to Phoenix and um, he got emotional in that, in that interview. And he's talking about essentially he just kept hitting upon the, just, they didn't want me. They didn't want me, you know, they didn't want me. Um, and it's the, it, it's just so much part of his story because he was the last guy selected in the draft. And here he comes in this draft and he's standing there with Jimmer for and Jimmer's, you know, college player of the year. And, you know, he's had to overcome so much and we get all this and he's, you know, five foot nothing. And, you know, yeah. not the heralded uh, collegiate athlete that, that Jimmer was and, and even Tyler Honeycutt's in that same draft and all this stuff. So um, he gets moved over to, to Phoenix. And I, I really touched a nerve with him when I asked him, I said, on camera, I said, do you even know who they got for you? And he like paused and he goes like, wait, what? I said, cause I, I still don't think he looks at it as if he got traded. Oh no. I said, he got, yeah. No, no. But I, I like at that, at that moment, like, I don't think, it didn't, he had no idea. Like it wasn't even him being a good actor. Cause I just kind of caught him off guard with it. I said, do you even know who they got for you? And he just looks at me, what? And I go, the, the player that the Kings got in return for you. And he kind of paused. No. And I said, Alex Oriaki. 
and he just kind of pauses for a minute and he goes, yeah, yeah, they, they just didn't want me. <laughs> like, like he, I don't even think he knew who Alex Oriaki was. Like, in, Well, in most fairness. people don't know who Alex Oriaki yeah. is. You but got Alex Oriaki for... and, and a trade exception that you let yeah. expire. Yeah, it was just, it was, so it, it, he was really emotional. I've been around guys who are emotional before. Another one that comes to mind is, um, you know, typically when, when guys have been traded and I, I've met up with them, you know, after they've been traded, you know, DeMarcus Cousins comes to mind. I mean, Alvin Gentry and um, the Hornets really flying in on a private jet to, to take De- uh, DeMarcus Cousins and Omar Caspi back to New, uh, back to New Orleans. And Buddy Heald coming in on on a commercial flight, you know, it's things like that, like where it's just a little <laughs> bit different. But um, you know, and and Demarcus, you know, crying out of town and and leaving and emotional, and um, and Darren Collison, Darren Collison, another one who I met up with after he got moved, and um, basically felt like he was lied to by the organization and by Vlade and things like that. So, yeah, the, the, there are real a lot of times it's, it, those are probably the moments of honesty because you really see, it is funny. Sacramento is a weird place. They haven't had a lot of success, but yet guys will come here oftentimes reluctantly. I mean, I know Chris Weber is the poster child for that, but yep. then when they leave, it is like a, a shock to the system where they, you know, they don't, they don't want to leave. There, there's some that do. <laughs> there's a lot. I'm not going to say some, there's a lot that do. They, they can't wait to get out of here. Uh, but there are many that, that really, just fall in love with this place, you know? Yeah. They embrace it. It's a place to raise families. It's a, it's a, it's a different vibe than most big cities. And you're not far from, you know, if you want that lifestyle, you can go get it. But if you want to kind of be the rock star in town and be treated like the Beatles a lot, or even it, it's funny because you can be treated like the Beatles in one sense where you can't go anywhere and you're mobbed and you feel like, you know, it, it feeds the ego, but you can also be left the hell alone too. <laughs> so it's a, it's an interesting kind of you can have it one way or the other depending upon where you're going and how you're treated and you know um and how big a stature you are so you know there's there's still there's so many guys that that reluctantly come here i remember brad miller is another one who uh brad this you know country boy from indiana and um probably never envisioned himself ever ever becoming a californian and yet he still keeps a home here so uh, it's it, it, it's it's just one of those crazy things where you know whether they come here they, those are probably my, my my most honest moments with with athletes or at least especially with nba players yeah it's funny like i i would walk around me and doug would go get coffee uh after after we did our pre-game uh like we we did pre-game we'd go get coffee and uh everyone would always like the coffee girl would always like she wouldn't let us pay for a coffee um, every single time I'd be asked like a million times if I could take a picture of somebody. So I'm like handling other people's phones all the time, taking a picture of them and Doug, uh, even like 15 years after not over 13 years, whatever it was, he's still so beloved. Yep. Like that's, I mean, he goes into the grocery store. You, you stop at a, uh, a Starbucks with him to, to grab coffee and, and everyone lo- like, Oh my gosh, it's Doug Christie. Like every, so there is something about being in a small town and being like, uh, being cherished uh, in a sense. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Sean, like I thought about this too, because like we were in the locker room for so many years with DeMarcus, like six and a half years. And we saw some, some moments with him that were like the frustration, the, the, like the near 
like the Andy Ferrillo situation stands out where, you know, DeMarcus is like bitterly angry and yelling at somebody. And, and, but there was never a time where I thought DeMarcus was going to punch Andy Ferrillo. There was never that moment. Like you always thought it was like sort of a, uh, an intimidation, a fake tough guy thing. The only time I like, we've seen like the good DeMarcus, right. We've seen him. Uh, as like that, you know, the Santa Cuz and the situation where he paid for uh, the high school football player who got shot. JJ Clavo. Yeah. Yeah. Great high school. JJ Clavo. Yeah. We, we saw those moments. We saw that we see the moments at his camps with kids. Uh, we, you know, just the way and, and all the money he donated sack high. Uh, but the one moment where I thought we saw the dark side of him the really, really, oh no moment was God's plan. When he started talking about God's plan, you remember Mm -hmm. that night, Sean? I do. Yeah. Uh, There was a big scrum of us. I was probably only like, like three feet away from him in his locker. And the way that he was rocking back and forth, I, I didn't, he wasn't, like the normal dude it wasn't the normal even the surly demarcus that we dealt with on occasion the angry demarcus it was like okay that's the side that i'm sure a few people in here have seen that that they're uncomfortable with and that like i was i asked the question i said are you okay i think is how i started that and that's when he started going off about god's plan and I was like, you never, by the way, that's a, that's a telltale sign. I don't think I've ever had to, uh, <laughs> I've never had to ask somebody if they're okay. <laughs> that, but that was a moment where, I, I mean, he's a huge man. And I, it was even before he'd gone through all of his like body transformation where he had lost a bunch of weight. He's just a gigantic man and he's looming over and he's rocking back and forth. And I thought, and no one else is asking any, everyone's just standing there. And I'm like, okay, are you okay? And that's, and it was like this weird, crazy moment where you're like, uh, okay, this, that's the one time I thought he's not mad at me, but I could get hit. Like, I, like this could turn like South, like really quickly. And that was, that was eerie. Like you don't often see the dark dark side of somebody and i thought that night was like we saw him in a moment where he had he had broke a little bit mm. and it was like a little unsettling so outside of i remember, that, I remember yeah. that night i didn't i didn't feel that way but i could tell he was pissed off i definitely could tell he was pissed off yeah i mean i was like like a foot and a half away from him it felt like like yeah. and, and had like media like pushing that was the good old days where the camera guys would sit there and fight to get in. You know, we, we had a couple of fights in the locker room with camera guys and stuff, just weird stuff. Or, or, uh, there's an audio guy, Ben, that used to like, Oh, I'm, he'd get all the way up front and then like, Oh, I got my audio. And then like, all I need was two quotes. And then he just turn around and try to walk through the the scrum. The camera guys are like, you MF -er." like, like, Oh, like we got fighting words going on. Um, that, and like, I think one of the more real players, uh, was my first season was Darnell Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his story is one of the most shockingly sad yeah. stories I've ever heard in my entire life. Like every single step of the way he was surrounded by death. 
Like I've never seen anything like it. And to have a 23 year old guy standing in front of you, like getting emotional in his locker and having a conversation. Cause I, I went through and wrote like a profile on him and he really opened up and was like horribly emotional. Um, that was so tough because he was a 23 year old who looked 35. He had been through it so badly that he just looked at it like it aged him so prematurely. Um, and just a good dude, a good dude who just had like got the, got the bad luck. You know, we all know those people in life who have bad luck and things just happen to them. He's that guy. It was crazy. Yeah. So, and he was, and he was still able to play in the NBA, which is, which is, you know, fortunate because if not for the yeah. NBA, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened for him. Yeah. I don't know. I, he did go to Ukraine and play for a long time. I, I think he made a career. He might still be playing, um, but really a good dude who could really, really play in the pick and roll. Oddly <laughs> uh, enough. Yeah. He could defend <laughs> the pick and roll when no other Kings player could, including guys like Samuel Dalibert and, uh, Hassan Whiteside and Demarcus Cousins and Carl Landry, like uh, like he could play in the pick and roll. No one else could. Um, all right, so so Sean, that's the business of basketball. There it is. There it is. There it is. Um, you have any final thoughts? Final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be old next time we talk. I'm not gonna drop the the name or the number, uh, but yeah, the next time we talk, I'm gonna be a little bit older. And uh, not looking forward to it. Is is your birthday tomorrow? Oh no, we do. We we're gonna okay. See, I'm already getting dementia. I'm already losing it. So oh, yeah, no. I'm already getting the Alzheimer's. So uh, no, well I'll get. Well, I got one more. I just looked at the calendar. I got one. I forgot. We're gonna talk one more before that. So one more before I turn another number, and uh, I'm gonna celebrate it as actually going to a game it's king's game it'll be on the road in san francisco where i'm not credentialed i'm not going to be a media member that night i'm not going to be raising you know waving pom-poms around either but i haven't been to a king's game as a as a paid spectator in a probably since i was a kid so that's going to be kind of a fun moment interesting yeah sean going to a game for his birthday yeah well and just so people i I, for sean's birthday and, and because he's my podcast partner i bought him new podcast equipment yeah, look at you. <laughs> Don is going to sound clean as hell. Oh, you're going to be like, oh, so that's what he sounds like. Thursday. That's what he sounds like. That's what <laughs> it sounds like when there isn't. Oh, is it still doing it? No, no I don't hear it. it. Okay. I, I think you're fine, but uh, but we got to get you some good equipment so you can sit there and, and uh, sound the most perfect, Sean, that you can kick, be. Kick my legs up a little bit. Deer and Fox and I share the same birthday, December 20th. How about that? There you go. There you yeah. go. Um, he is not uh, the same age as De'Aaron Fox. I, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> All right. So that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat podcast. So if you haven't already, make sure you jump on and subscribe to the King's Beat. Uh, make sure you subscribe. And if you can do a paid subscription, um, we're going to do another happy hour. The first, I think the first week of January, we're going to bust out another happy hour. And that will be for premium subscribers of the king's beat it's extremely affordable and we're doing amazing stuff here if you haven't noticed i mean come on now uh and you know i I think that's uh we're gonna have a lot of games here at home there's gonna be a lot of practice and you need to make sure you're following sean on twitter at sean 
uh, S-C-A-N Cunningham, uh, yes. just straight up. Make sure you're following me on Twitter. Uh, that would be cool. And uh, make sure that you like and subscribe uh, wherever you're listening to your podcasts and, and give us some feedback. Um, and, you know, again, if you're a member of the Kings Beat, um, you can email me. Uh, I take emails and I answer emails all the time. We're doing it different this time around, uh, a much more personal touch where you can ask me stuff on email all the time. Uh, if you ask me something crazy, I might not tell you like, who I think is about to get traded because, you know, if <laughs> that I would be that, crazy, that would be the crazy. If I know that I'm probably already writing it and you're, you're just going to have to wait for it. I would think the cream, the crazy would be like, James, what are your, James, what's your grooming habits? <laughs> you know, that, that, those are some crazy, crazy questions. Boy, Sean goes there. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's, that's just weird, Sean. That's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> those are crazy. Those would be crazy. If someone said, Hey James, who goes first? Who, who trades first? Like, that's not so crazy. I'd, I'd probably entertain those ones. There it is. And look, I, I had somebody reach out to me today uh, from an old Sacktown royalty friend, and I'm going to write on it, I think, for this weekend. But uh, I think you're seeing a different side to, to both Sean and I in this new adventure. And I think it's really cool. And, and I, I think I have some idea of why that is, that you're seeing a different side of us and you're seeing us being slightly more forceful with what we're saying and honest about everything that we know and we put things in context and we're brutally brutally honest with uh, with what we're doing here it's not that we we're lying to you before um, but i think that there's just a way that the two of us combined uh like we got good synergy here and, and we have a lot of information and uh we're gonna try to share that information with you the best we can when we can so um, for Sean Cunningham, I'm James Ham. Thanks for tuning into the Kingsbeat podcast. We will see you later this week. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.